0: It's our honor to today with award winning author David Morrell, creator of the internationally iconic character Rambo, which he introduced in what has been called the father of modern action novels First Blood. David is the author of more than 30 books, spanning fiction, nonfiction, short story collections, comic books, and essays. Among other honors, he is an Edgar and Bram Stoker Award winner and the recipient of the International Thriller Writers Association's Thriller Master Award. David, thank you so much for speaking with us today. It really is an honor. Thank you. Oh,
1: Thank you. I just have to correct you. I was an Edgar finalist. Uh, but, uh, we could have substituted something else. I don't, I just like to get the record absolutely straight. (laughs) You know. Okay, well my apology. uh, (laughs) No, 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 it's not that, but. But uh, you know, sometimes these things come back to bite you if you
0: don't. Of course, around. understood. Understood. My fault. Well, yes, and there, and and there, there were many other awards that I that I could have mentioned. Uh, quite, quite an accomplished uh, career, to say the least.
1: Thank you. Thanks.
0: you. Um, so, this podcast, uh, as we spoke before, at its core is about the bridge between the written word and the big or s- small screen. Uh, First Blood had a 10-year journey between its publication in 72 and the release of the film in 82. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about the stepping stones and or pitfalls that you had to go through during that time.
1: And actually, uh, working with a, a film company, there are two ways they can acquire the rights. They can option the material, which means they pay you a sum against the purchase price. And that gives them uh, perhaps a year, year and a half, the time varies, um, for uh, the studio or, or the producer to develop the material to a point where they think they can make the movie. And then when they're absolutely certain, they can pay, within the time limit, the remaining amount of money and own the property for the rights to, for the films. But if they reach the end of that time and they say, you know what, we don't have the actors or we don't have this or that, uh, we think we'll pass. Then, the person who owns the film rights, uh, gets to keep the money and also is capable of selling, trying to sell it somewhere else mm-hmm. as opposed to an outright sale, uh, at which case, you know, the, uh, the the rights have been transferred, except, and, and again, there's a little wrinkle here, sometimes you can build in a time limit on the sale so that, if, say, after eight years, project hasn't been made, you get the rights back, but with the proviso in that case, then if somebody else acquires them, the initial purchaser has to be reimbursed. Mm-hmm. So uh, 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 so if I go on and talking about this or that, when I say an option, it's one thing, a purchase is another. Mm-hmm. So Stanley Kramer came to us in 1971, a year before the, when I say us, my agent and I, a year before the book was published, it was in Galley at that time, and uh, he wanted to uh, option it. Uh, and the, the uh, you know, Stanley Kramer is a revered filmmaker. He's a little didactic sometimes, yep. but, but, oh, but you know, very respectable and uh, has gravitas. And yep. we were, you know, happy to, to do this. And the publisher actually had um, ads in the New York Times about Stanley Kramer in first book. And then lo and behold, after six months, he never came through with a contract of the money. Yeah. Uh, so now we've lost that amount of time And uh, I'm, I'll just add one little step And then you ask something So I'm not busy talking all the time There um, was a, a, a very nice man uh, One of the uh, producers of The Graduate Named Larry Terman, Lawrence Terman uh-huh. And he saw the book uh, 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 In uh, Beverly Hills Bookstore and uh, and got interested, bought it, went home, and said, I think this could be a terrific uh, uh, picture, and I bet Richard Brooks would be great to write and direct. Mm. So he went to Richard, and Richard was intrigued, and they went to Columbia Pictures, and, and Columbia Pictures was intrigued, and at that point, uh, they got in touch, and they made an offer to purchase, uh, no option, it was an outright sale, and I revere Richard Brooks, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, so the, the, in 1972, Columbia Pictures acquired the rights, so ask me, what happened then? <laughs> yes, otherwise, not. otherwise, I'm just yattering away. <laughs> well, David,
2: one of the things I'm interested in is, you know, with the book coming out in 72, I mean, you've said in a couple of places that your, your intent was to transpose the Vietnam War to America. But yes. the, the, the time lag in, in making the film, by 82, we were into the Reagan era, and, yes. you know, it was more cheering for the underdog. And I've always wondered... Uh, if it if you think it would have been a very different film if it had been made like in the midst of coming home, the Deer Hunter boys' and company see those movies.
1: Well, uh, it would have, and the I, there was a serious. I, I'll, I'll just say quickly, from Richard Brooks and Columbia Pictures to Carolco Pictures uh, acquiring the rights, and Ted Kotcheff being the director, there were four film companies. Uh, Columbia passed it on to Warner's, Warner passed it on to somebody else, and then uh, somehow Warner got it back, and Carolco Pictures bought the rights from them. Uh, and there were something like 26 scripts prepared in those through those four studios. Wow. Now, the most interesting one, uh, and I know this for sure, uh, because uh, Sidney Pollack, one of my very favorite directors, yeah, uh, and and a man who actually has a look. His films look a little like Richard Brooks's. They, you know, they all have that studio gloss to them. Mm-hmm. Yes. and um, i crossed paths with Sidney, and he said he worked on it with War- at Warner Brothers in 1975, and it was a go with Steve McQueen as Rambo.
2: Wow, gosh,
1: and they were moving along when somebody realized that Steve was in his mid-40s mm-hmm. uh, and that there were no 45-year-old Vietnam veterans in 1975. Yeah. Yeah. So the whole the project was flawed in the beginning, so it fell apart. I have no idea how they were going to handle what you were talking about. You get the deer hunter coming home, you know, all those other titles yes. that you mentioned. And my feeling is that the picture would have been absorbed, that it would have been another one.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and uh, that, uh, you know, uh, sometimes things just take the right amount of time. Yes. And that in 82, the culture had changed enough and the pict- the, the, the plot was reinterpreted. Because mm-hmm. mine was, was an attempt to, um, as it were, depict the severe almost like now, the severe conflicts in American society, as in that case, as created by the war. Yes. So I saw Rambo almost as a disaffected, somebody of a certain age will know what I mean when I say students for a democratic society, and mm-hmm. somebody had come back from the war and hated it so much that he was, you know, mm-hmm. that he was violent in his hatred of it. As, and that Teasel, the police chief, would represent a kind of Eisenhower Republican raised in the 50s who who was one of those don't trust anybody over 30 years old kind, yeah. of, mm-hmm. kind of thing. So so that, you know, and that, and that Rambo in the novel dies, he's killed by Colonel Troutman, whose first name is Samuel, mm-hmm. and who represents the United States, Uncle Sam. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: so it's kind of an a- allegory. So... You could make it that way, uh, and it would have played in the 70s, but um, as I said, I think it would have been absorbed, and, and, by the, and, and the, the filmmakers reinterpreted the story to make it um, more, uh, more 80s-like, and certainly in later films, more Ronald Reagan-friendly. Uh, yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's a, it's a good, it's a classic case where you can take the same plot re- and interpret it differently. But I, you know, I like the first movie. Uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, if Anybody has a Blu-ray of the film. I have an audio commentary on it where I talk about the difference between the book and the film. Wow. And, you know, the whole process. When, imagine when an author, an, a, a novelist got asked to do a, Audio commentary for a Blu-ray. I that may be a one-time only thing. <laughs> yeah, um, you
0: know, I uh, I agree with. You. I'm a, I'm a big fan of the of the original film as well. I think it's great, but they are you know they are very different in that you know sort of in fitting with the with the 80s and and the zeitgeist of the time. It's very much an action picture, whereas I feel the book is much more cerebral. One of the things that I sort of myth from the film and that I very much enjoyed and recently rereading the book was it was great to sort of be in in Rambo's head, you know, and really, uh, you know, see what he's thinking and where he's coming from. Uh, My question is, did you, did you have any sort of feeling, even though, you know, you say you're a fan of the film, understandably so, but did you have any feeling that the character was sort of taken away from you? And certainly with the subsequent movies, um you know, did, did you have any sense of that, that you were sort of losing the core of what you had put on the page when it got transposed to the, to the screen?
1: Well, it, it's a really interesting question. And I, I thought of these as train tracks. Um, you know, I the train track of my novel. And, 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 you know, you guys have talked about books and movies uh, uh, often enough that uh, you know that um, movies will inevitably be different. I mean, there are very yeah. few cases where the book it, it, you know, it, you say, yes, that's the book. And in a couple of cases, like with The Godfather, you know, the mm-hmm. book gets improved. Yes. Um, but is, is the book in, in that case. But it doesn't happen very often. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, Stephen King, uh, uh, a, a friend, in fact, Stephen, Steve had taught First Blood when he taught uh, creative writing at the University of uh, Maine. Mm-hmm. And, and he told me that he thought, I got treated about as well as Hollywood could treat an author because he actually recognized the plot, yeah. mm-hmm.
2: uh,
1: and which he said isn't always the case in his films. Um, and so, you know, they changed the ending. They emphasized Rambo as, uh, and played down the police chief. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were a few other things that got either changed or reemphasized. Um, and I think that this was part of that 26 scripts that I talked about, that, yes. that, uh, they, they were, there was so much, um, Rambo committed a lot of mayhem in the novel, and I think they were afraid, um, maybe that he'd be perceived as a, um, you know, as the bad guy, um, and so, and whereas in mine, in the novel, I saw them as both heroes and villains simultaneously, that they right. were two people <laughs> simply couldn't understand each other, whereas, in the novel excuse me in the film clearly um, sly rewriting the script and, and doing a fine job uh, not certainly not complaining it's a, for the film mm-hmm. is what it is is fine yeah. uh, but he you know changes so that it was Rambo's story and the police chief was to some degree a secondary character and mm-hmm. uh, you know these are just decisions that get made um, inevitably, as as the picture you know progressed,
0: it's also interesting. We think you know we just from the films we sort of get this image of the Rambo with the you know the rotating machine gun gunning down all these people and everything. But in the book, he's actually quite a bit more lethal uh, yes, than what the original film. Yes. I mean, violently though. So. Yes.
1: <laughs> well, he's pissed off. Uh, yeah. he, the, 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 they sent him to war and they taught him stuff and and he didn't like what happened to him so he thought maybe you could find out what it was like um... and then in the second and third films um... it's interesting how each film or group of films changes the character the character in the second and third films is not the character in the first film uh... it has been slanted now that he's almost a recruiting poster for the military uh, whereas in the the first one you know it's a cautionary tale and enough so that when Sylvester he occasionally calls me uh, and we chat, he's very he's a very friendly, very smart, uh, very humorous person. And uh, not that I know him well, I've never been to dinner with him, but I have certainly talked to him for many hours. Yeah. Yeah. He called and said he was making the fourth movie as a Sam Peckinpah version of a Rambo film mm-hmm. because he felt, he said, and this is pretty close to the quote, Uh, what he said to me, he said, in retrospect, I think the Rambo 2 and 3 glorified the violence too much Mm -hmm. and made, you know, warfare look like fun. And uh, so that what he wanted to do in the fourth, he said, was to go back to the tone of the novel rather than the original movie and and try to, you know, explore that. And it it interests, in many ways, uh, rap, the first Rambo and, and the Rambo 4 are the interesting ones. And, and what, it, it, it amazed me that critics didn't pick up on really extraordinary lines of dialogue in the fourth movie, where, um, in fact, uh, hang on a minute, I have, a, I have occasionally... Okay, this is a line from Rambo 4, is what I call Rambo 4. The title is just Rambo uh, and it's hard to imagine that this is in one of these movies.
2: Yeah. And
1: this is fly talking. This is Ramble. Ramp peace is an accident. When the killing stops in one place, it starts in another. But that's okay because you're killing for your country. But it isn't your country who's asking. It's a few men up top who want it. Nobody wins and everybody in the middle dies and nobody tells the truth. Wow, <laughs> and uh, and I never, you know, some sometimes critics go into a movie expecting something, and so they don't see what they're actually watching, and uh, there are several similar speeches like that, um, and there's one that perhaps the most 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 stunning line of dialogue in the fourth movie is Rambo after having refused for a long time to help these missionaries is finally decides to go in and rescue them. The later movies are almost all rescue movies. Um, And uh, in fact, they uh, they are all rescue movies. Um, And he's making the machete knife. He's forging it. um, And he's thinking as he forges in a kind of a (laughs) demented swirl of images from prior films, and, and he says to himself, don't say you killed for your country, you killed for yourself, and for, God, for that, God will not forgive you. Mm. Wow.
0: Uh,
1: and, and I never saw that at all in uh, review yeah. either. I mean, that's really disturbing. It is. Um, and yeah. um, so, um, anyway... Um, you can see I get I'm really interested in that. For it. And the only trouble is it's so darn long. At the end, the action seems so long that you know the effect gets muted. But the director's cut on the on a DVD on a Blu-ray, um, you know, Im- improves on some of the problems.
2: Now, now, David, when we uh, you were on a panel I led at the Dallas Voucher Con, and we were talking about mm-hmm. movies and film. And I seem to remember that you were quite dismayed by the most recent Rambo film you, that you talked about. Actually, I believe emailing Stallone with your displeasure is—is is that a fa- factual uh, memory of mine?
1: Uh, well, it's it's pretty close. I I don't th- consider the fifth Rambo film to be a Rambo film. Yeah. Um. At which I'll get to in a minute. But what happened was that I live in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and. A, really good friend of mine works for the local newspaper, the Santa Fe New Mexican. Mm-hmm. And what we did for Rambo 4, and this one, was he spoke to his editor, and it seemed like a cool idea that uh, the, the uh, reporter's name is Robert Knott, M-O-N-O-T-T, and he's written some pretty good books, one of which has uh, helped with a reminiscence that Max Evans had of Sam Peckinpah. Oh, wow. And uh, anyhow, we went to the film. And uh, we talked afterward, and I, I'll say I said to him what I'm going to say to you, um, and he put it in the newspaper with my permission. That was the whole idea. Yeah. Um, and uh, wire services picked up on it, and so it showed up in People and Newsweek and things like that. Quotes from yes. what I said, and then eventually uh, Sly, uh, who had heard, sent me a text. Saying that he was very disappointed in my remarks, and I won't go farther than that. We exchanged some messages, um, but you know they were between us, and yes. um, and that was that was that was that. But the the, the problem with the film is, first of all, it, it, it's it's um, it's alarmingly close to a 1971 film that one of the Robert Mitchum's sons were, was in, called oh, come on, now, now it's going to fly away from me, in which the character is a rancher in, let's say, Montana someplace, uh-huh. and a female relative of his gets kidnapped by um, a brutal people in the porn industry in L.A., and he goes to L.A. and uses his cowboy tactics to mm-hmm. rescue her. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so that... Um, uh, uh, I, I, I use the parallel because it shows what kind of a generic plot it is. Um, and, and the problem is that it has, it, 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 it expects us to believe that Rambo is going to be partially living in caverns that he has somehow carved out of the ground in, Colorado, in Arizona. Uh, on a ranch that he has inherited from his father. Yeah. Uh, And so if we go back to Rambo One, the first blood, let's, you know, we'll forget my novel, uh, 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 which emphasizes these things even more, Mm -hmm. but we'll go to the movie, uh, because we're talking about movies. What causes his breakdown in the jail for him to lash out, kick, you know, beat everybody up and and rush from the jail to rush up into the mountains is a man coming at him with a razor, which causes him to have a flashback to Vietnam when he was in a pit in the ground
2: Mm -hmm.
1: with people throwing garbage on him. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Now, in the movie and even worse in the novel, later, he is trapped in a mine that has collapsed because of an explosion and he has to go through these narrow tunnels in the movies case with rats on him in the book's case with bats on him. Mm -hmm. And that is the climax psychologically of both. When he comes out of there, he's different. So do, are we expected to believe the character who went through that would gladly willingly for security be causing these damn tunnels underneath his property. It yeah. makes no sense. Right. Now, we could argue that he was testing himself, but that's not in the movie. You know, we can't, you know, I mean his stories have to have their interior logic. And it gets worse from there. He he goes, he's he's there after his, his niece, I believe it is, and and or it's a, a relative of this. I can't. I couldn't keep it straight. It, 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 uh, it uh, couldn't tell who who the woman is. It, it was it was his housekeeper's daughter. I don't know. She said she's, she's been kidnapped in Mexico, and he goes down. And here we have the wily, wily warrior, who's a master of tactics, who said in Rambo two the mind is the best weapon, and his clever scheme to get her back was to walk past 200 bad guys and go up to the lead bad guy and say, I want her back, and mm-hmm. then look surprised when they kick the shit out of him. <laughs> I mean, you know, this is Rambo. As somebody in Special Forces said to me after seeing the movie, he said, it's a shame they made Rambo a simpleton.
0: Yeah. Well, so, so if for it, no... if. It if for no other reason than just having control over avoiding this kind of thing, have you ever had any interest or experience in the production end of it, the screenwriting or anything for the adaptations for your work? When, is
1: it, uh, well, not with this case. I mean, with, uh, I had one of my novels, Brotherhood of the Rose was the only miniseries to became the only miniseries to air after a Super Bowl, and with Robert Mitchum in it. And uh, I, I wrote four drafts of that. And then my friend Sterling Siliphant wrote a draft and, then uh, another writer guy, Waldron, write, wrote a draft, and he's he's the one that got the credit. But so I was, you know, intimately involved in that project. But with the Rambo films, um, I I, I, I what I'm going to say is no slight against Sylvester. Um, he he I have uh, you know he and I get along fine.
2: Mm-hmm. But
1: when you're that's just abstracted. when you're dealing with a movie star who is also a writer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be writing the script. right? It's just a law in the movie world. And, you know, you just get used to it. Um, uh, and, and, in fact, I remember uh, um, one of the production chiefs at Universal one day telling me about the rules of, you know, unless you walk on water, <laughs> and she mentioned uh, Stephen King and uh, Michael Crichton, And she could have said, Sylvester Stallone, unless you walk on water, you are not going to adapt your own novel.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah.
1: So, you know, that's just the way it is. But again, I emphasize,
2: you know, I'm, Fly and I are good. Yeah. Yeah. Now, one thing, David, that we've talked about with some of the other writers is this recent, fairly recent development of streaming services, which are, getting into adaptation. And I was very interested to see that Amazon recently did a version of Lee Child's first novel, The Killing Floor, you know, and sure. and I, I wonder if you see this as a very hopeful development in television, giving a fair shake to thrillers and mysteries.
1: Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, streaming, it, it's, it's so it's great for for writers. There's so much work um, both for writers, uh, for screenwriters, and also for novelists who are getting, you know, their books adapted. Yeah. Uh, and in a couple of cases, uh, Jack Carr, a gifted thriller uh, writer, a uh, military thriller writer, uh, and who has been very gracious in uh, in acknowledging that Brotherhood of the Rose. Uh, the novel I mentioned earlier was the reason he became both a seal and a, and a writer, and we, we know each other and communicate a lot. And he's a he's a great guy. And he has a, a, a mini series, um, a limited series, coming out in June um, called The Terminal Man, based upon his first novel. Mm-hmm. And Jack was brought in uh, as in the writers' room. He was part of. He was giving advice and. He's an executive producer, I believe, and I don't know if he gets any writers' credit. Uh, But you know, he was intimately involved in this series, and uh, for for one reason being that he's he's walked the walk. He is a former SEAL, so he knows the you know what would work uh, in in the real world more than probably most of the writers do. Uh, uh, But that's a rare circumstance. Uh, um, We could you know think of other cases where writers have been brought aboard, and, you know, one wonders how that happened. Um, in my experience, um, pre, pre-streaming, it was not the case, and uh, I, have, I have a lot of, I have books that are, I have four books on option at the moment, uh-huh. that's not uncommon for me, but they never get made. Yeah. Uh, so, I can never tell, you know, if, if one started really to move forward, whether or not, you know, at what point I might be brought on, at least for, you know, to read a script or what have you. Yeah. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, to get back directly to your question, um, boy, oh, boy, uh, you know, the, the, this is this is the gold rush. And uh, 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 wherever you turn, somebody's got a new series. Um, my, my part of my problem is they all look the same. I'm, and I'm, I don't mean to, I haven't seen, uh, uh, Lee Childs, uh, uh, um, uh, Jack Reacher on TV. So I'm not trying to, it's yes. not again meant to be, you know, any, anything. It's just speaking generally, uh, you know, as I look at what's on TV, um, you know, they, they're kind of all blending together. They're, they're kind of all lit the same way. Yes.
2: Um,
1: you know, they kind of have actors who all look the same. And um, so I'm not sure, even though it's good for the creative community, I don't know, except in yeah. certain circumstances, how um, how good for yeah. creativity <laughs> it all is. Yes. Um, so, you know, that remains to be shaken out. This is all so new um, yeah. that... Difficult to tell, you know, what's going to happen. And but every once in a while, I I saw there's a uh, 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 ten part series called Station Eleven uh, yeah. that's on HBO Max, and it just knocked me out. I couldn't believe how exciting and yet intelligent and and thematically substantive it was. Um, and you know, and I thought, okay, you know, we still and it's from a, a novel by a Canadian author.
2: Yes.
1: And I thought, hey, you know, this maybe we maybe this can go someplace
0: you mentioned earlier that uh rightly that sometimes uh books that are adapted to the big screen sometimes it works very well sometimes it doesn't sometimes the film becomes better than the book and vice versa we like to ask our guests do you have any favorite movie adaptations of, of books or books that you really loved that you were particularly outside of your own work that, that you were particularly disappointed in
1: Uh, Well, some of the ones that I admire, and this goes back, uh, I mentioned an author named Sterling, or a screenwriter named Sterling Siliphant, who in his day uh, was, you know, I, I the highest uh, paid screenwriter in the business, and mm-hmm. um, made me know most for *The Towering Inferno*, uh, which is a very difficult uh, film to write. But the one, but he he adapted a novel from, uh, from uh, a black author named John Ball, a mystery novel called *In the Heat of the Night*. Oh my God! Uh, and, yeah. and that that screenplay. Um you know that it, it changed it wasn't only exciting, it wasn't only a perfect example of this younger piece that was bigger than that, yeah. uh, it, you know was filled with characterization and and meaning, and you know in some ways it changed the movies and um, and, and it, to a degree, you know Sterling's work is why I wrote first Blood. Um, you know, the excitement I had. he and I were very close, and mm-hmm. um, I, I you know I cannot. I bet there isn't a day goes by I don't think of him and, um, you know, the excitement he had for writing and that I hope I still have. And um, anyhow, that would be one of my favorite adaptations. And then, of course, for, for The Godfather, it's tough to get more perfect than that.
2: Yeah. Yeah, uh,
1: and um, uh, so those you know those would be two uh, great examples, and uh, you know in the reverse you know I don't like to knock
2: <laughs> authors,
1: <laughs> so <laughs> so I you know we, we could you know I suppose if in private mention someone said how the hell did they do that? What <laughs> how did they ruin that? But it's probably best you know not to be negative. <laughs>
0: yeah. Right. Fair enough. No, under, uh, understood. Um, David, you're, you're known, um, for, your. I guess, uh, the word might be participatory research. Uh, you've been, you know, with the types of books and the thrillers that you work, you have been trained in firearms and hostage negotiation. Uh, I believe you even got became a pilot uh, to research aerial sequences for, for a particular book. Um, how much of that is just your sense of personal adventure and enjoy doing that? And how much of it is actually, I mean, do you, do you think that that is absolutely crucial for you to create your characters? How important is that to you?
1: For me, it is. I, I often have compared myself to a method actor version of an, of an author. Um, the, the, the thing that I am determined to do is, is keep developing myself as, as a writer. Um, and uh otherwise i you know if you just do the same thing again and again uh you yeah. know i just don't see the creative point of it and so you know the, one of the bromides of of uh, in some writing schools is write what you know about but i always went the opposite direction i said what do i what don't i know about but that i would really like to know about and write a novel about so that was always the direction I took that I, you know, certain subject matters. I did a thriller about a war photographer who, who was so disgusted with the pictures he took that he tried to become an art photographer, uh, but to have his former life catch up to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I didn't know anything about photography, but I loved the idea. So I spent a year in the photography world. Uh, taking photography classes, hanging out with photographers. And, and one of the most valuable things I did here in Santa Fe at the time, Andrew Smith had a photography gallery of written the classics. And I went in one day and introduced myself and said, you know, tell me why this photo is worth $100,000. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, and boy, you know, uh, I, I got quite a lesson. And then he would allow me to come in on, say, a Saturday in tourist season. We get a lot of visitors. Um, and uh, would go. Out, they knew who I was, and they wouldn't. You know, they'd know what I was doing, which was eavesdropping on the conversations they were having with people who were interested in buying some of the photographs, so that I could hear what they were saying about the various photographs and how people were reacting. And, you know, very very exciting uh, stuff. In that case, you know, it was intellectual, uh, and aesthetic. Uh, the the one that's perhaps the most dramatic is, I heard about. Uh, mysterious real lights that appear outside of a town in Texas called Marfa,
2: which oh, yeah. is also
1: where the James Dean movie Giant was made. And these these lights have been appearing since the mid 1880s, as long as you know people could talk about them, move through that area, as opposed to Native Americans, and uh, who you know who knew about them, but you know whites didn't, and so. Um, I, I got fascinated by them. They're, they appear over the site of a World War I, World War II military base. It's defunct, and they're like 12 miles away from uh, observatory. And mm-hmm. I thought, this, this, this stuff is too good to pass up. So uh, in some cases in real life, in World War II, the, the training aircraft had chased the lights wow. um, <clears throat> to see where they came from and had dropped a uh, fl- sacks of flour where they thought the lights originated, and then they go out in the daytime and see where the flower spots were. So I knew if I was going to write these scenes, I had to know something about being a pilot. Right. Uh, and while some people would say, "Oh, I can fake it," and and believe me, they do fake it, <laughs> you know, not in a good way. Um, I said, "Okay, I'm gonna," you know, and and my father had been a pilot in World War II. He died uh, as a pilot. And, I thought, All right, you know maybe this is meant to be. So, I spent um, a year, a little bit more actually, learning how to be a private pilot, uh, and later, you know, use that I don't fly anymore. I, uh, I I don't take well to unpressurized cabins with uh, mm-hmm. high altitude. But um, at the, you know, I at ten years, I have a thousand hours in the air, and um, I just, uh, you know, I really loved it, and you know, and I think it showed in the novel. You know, that this was a guy who knew about airspaces and, you know, and uh, uh, flight controllers and things like that.
2: Yeah, that's one of my favorite books of yours. I I, called
1: The shimmer just to get the the plug in, but that's one of my favorite as well. And, you know, it shows uh, the, because I like to walk through genres and explore them, and that's my techno, um, semi science fiction thriller.
2: Yes. now, one last thing, David. Do, do you have something you might want to mention? Do you have a book coming out this year or something you're working on that is going to come out soon?
1: Well, I don't. I wish. I, I've been working on on a project for more than two years, which is very long for me. And mm-hmm. in illustrating uh, what I said, you know, I've done outdoor action with First Blood and yep. other bros with espionage. And we mentioned the Shimmer. I did a a non-supernatural horror novel called called Creepers, which might be a movie that's been in, they've been developing it a very long time, maybe. Um, But I'm working on a Western, um, but it's called A Novel of the American West, and it's very ambitious. It tries, it's set in 1887, 88, and 89, and it tries indirectly to incorporate the history of the West after the Civil War, and at, as well to incorporate the history of the development of the Western genre. So it's just been, I, I got into this and I thought, oh, damn, it's getting more complicated. <laughs> and I didn't want to do that, you know, and I, I have uh, 475 pages written, probably another, I think it'll go to 600. It's probably okay. going to be 130,000 words. And, you know, wow. nobody's going to publish a 130,000 word novel especially a Western, but, you know, I'm at the, I don't care. I just, right. you know, it got into me, and here yeah. I am, you know. Well, oh,
0: I can't wait. I'm a Western fan. I guess uh, I'm, I'm very excited to hear this. I want to ask real quick, uh, on that note, because I know you've written extensively, you have an uh, extensive essay about John Wayne. What's your favorite John Wayne film?
1: Yeah. A oh, Red River, I would I would think. Yeah, okay. if anybody comes to me and says, not only John Wayne, you know, what, what John Wayne movie convinced me, uh, kind of thing, but also just any. Uh, 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 there are. I'm astonished that there are people who don't know westerns, yeah. you who know, totally unfamiliar with them. And you know, so they say, what one would you recommend? And I think Red River, apart from The Last Minute, um, yeah. is is the is the one. You know,
0: yeah. uh, I'm sure you know the great story of uh, you know Howard Hawks directed that film. I believe it was that, Hawks' first western. He was a Jack of all trades, he could do anything. And of course, he comes out of the gate. With that film, but apparently Ford saw it. He had already, you know, done. Dozens of films with, with Wayne. He said it wasn't until he saw Red River that he knew quote the son of a bitch could actually act.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'd forgotten that story. It's a terrific story. Yeah, yeah. he plays fifteen years older than he is.
2: Yeah, yeah. he's
1: a really nasty guy.
2: Really. So, I mean, yeah. this
1: is this is a guy who you know Wayne at his best was playing very ugly characters. The Searchers is the same case. Yep. You know, yeah, playing a you know an absolute racist you a know, disgusting man. Yeah. And uh, and having the guts to do it, you know, uh, because yes. he trusted John Ford
0: in that case. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I agree. Red River is probably probably my favorite as well. But I'm a big fan. I was excited to see that, uh, you know, I know that you had written about it, but I'm excited to hear that you're working on a Western now. So I'll, I'll be too. first in line. David, we so appreciate uh, this. This was such an honor for us. You know, we love to talk books to film, and there's no way we could uh, we could continue this uh, podcast with us, David morell So thank you so much well, for joining.
1: Well, it Thanks. was fun to do. Uh, we had a, a couple of good laughs, so that always helped. <laughs>
0: thank you, David. <laughs> All right. So take
2: care yep. of yourself. Bye-bye.